Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Hello and thank you so much for joining us today for Celebration Online. We're trusting and praying that you'll be encouraged in many ways by today's service. I do want to encourage you to take note of the fact that we are still going to be having our Christmas Eve communion services at the end of this month. On, on December the 23rd and on December the 24th, we'll be having a special Christmas Eve communion services, in-person services and online services. In those services, we'll be singing some of the Christmas carols that you love to hear. We'll be reading together the real Christmas story. We'll be learning about how what Christmas really means to us in our day and time, and we'll be participating in communion together. It's always one of our highlight services of the year. Now, not only do you enjoy those services, and I enjoy those services, but a lot of our friends and relatives and associates and neighbors would enjoy those services as well. So I want you to purpose to invite your friends, your relatives, your co-workers, your neighbors to join you for our Christmas Eve communion services, either in person or online. To find out the times, just go to celebrationchurch.org and there you'll find out the Christmas service, Christmas Eve service times. Today I want you to take your Bible, the Bible app, and turn to me to the book of Philippians and the fourth chapter. We are continuing today our All I Want for Christmas sermon series. Now you know the song, All I Want for Christmas is my two front teeth. You know how that song goes. But most people want lots of other things for Christmas. They want joy. They want peace. They want contentment. They want provision and other things as well. And so we've been examining uh, what some of those great needs are that people have during this time of the year. Today, we want to learn about how we can have contentment, even though we're going through a difficult time, even though we're going through a tragic time, we can have contentment in our heart and lives. Our words today in Philippians chapter 4, written by the Apostle Paul, who himself was going through a very difficult time. But look at what Paul wrote here in Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you, the people in Philippi, you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance always to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether it was with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, Paul says, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. I want you to ask yourself this question today as we look into God's word. What would it take to make a life, what would it take to make you happy and to feel content in life? What would it really take to make you happy and to make you feel content in life? Now, some people think that, uh, uh, that contentment is found by feeling good. Or some people think that contentment is found by looking good or, or being good or doing good or having the goods or, or being with someone who is good. All those kinds of things people think are the pathway to contentment and satisfaction in life. And a lot of people think that contentment is based on looking good. And here in America, looking good is big business. That's why we have so many department stores. That's why we have tanning salons. And that's why we have all kinds of beauty salons and all kinds of other things. That's why, that's why people are so focused on their outward appearance, so, so focused on their looks. And that's why shopping is probably the number one pastime or activity or hobby for Americans. Now, sometimes we all need to present ourselves better. We all need to look better. Sometimes it's the devil leading us astray. 
I heard about a woman one time who almost every day she would walk past the department store and, and walk in and try on some outfits and leave with at least one outfit. After that happened for some time, her husband tried to talk with her and said, Honey, you know, we're spending way too much money on your clothes. Why do you keep buying new clothes when you haven't even worn all the clothes that you purchased? She said, Well, when I stop and try on some clothes, I, I hear this voice in the back of my mind saying, You need to buy these clothes. They look so good on you. He said, honey, don't you realize that's the voice of the devil speaking to you. And the next time you hear that voice, you've got to say, get behind me, Satan, and not cave into that temptation. She said, OK, I'll try that. But a couple of days later, she came home with another new outfit, with another set of clothes. And her husband asked, honey, what happened? Hey, didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? She said, I did. But then the voice said, it looks good from back here as well. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes uh, our pursuit of looking good is led it's led by the devil in our lives. A lot of people think that not only looking good, but a lot of people think having the goods is what brings satisfaction and contentment in their life. So they're so focused in their lives on, on having possessions and having money, buying this, buying that. But can I be honest with you? Oftentimes, some of the most miserable people I know are some of the wealthiest individuals I know because they focus their life on that which is temporal, on having the goods, and they don't have any real satisfaction or contentment in life. Now, some people think that not only that is, is it looking good or having the goods, some people think doing good is the secret to contentment and satisfaction in life. So they throw themselves into all kinds of activities to help others, but they're so focused on helping others that they neglect their own soul care and wind up living miserable lives rather than contented and happy and satisfied lives. And then some people think that having someone good in their life will bring happiness and contentment to their lives. Some people think if I could just marry someone, if I could just find someone to be with, I'd be happy and content in my life. But that could be true if you marry the right person. But if you marry the wrong person, oh man, you're going to be really struggling in your life. One time a young man came to a pastor. He'd been married for about a year. He had married this woman and, and he said to the pastor, he said they had all kind of troubles. He said, Pastor, I thought you told me that if I married this woman, I would be at the end of my troubles. The pastor said, that's exactly what I told you. I just didn't tell you which end. If you don't marry the right person, you're not going to have the contentment and satisfaction that you're looking for in your life. Here's what I'm telling you. And here's what the scriptures tell us as well. Popularity and pleasure and possessions and accomplishments and, and even other people. They're not the keys to experiencing uh, a lasting satisfaction and contentment in our lives. In today's scripture passage we read earlier, we find the Apostle Paul uh, with none of those things in his life. Now, he had had those things in his life. He had had the, all those accomplishments and possessions and things like that in his life. But, but at this time, when he wrote these words, he was in prison. He was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. It was a very dark, dire situation. He knew that his own death was probably inevitable. But listen again what Paul said in verses 11 and 12. He said, I have learned how to be content content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. I know how to live with everything. I, I know I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, whether it is with plenty or with little. Again, Paul didn't have anything at this time. He was stuck in a prison with no running water, no electricity, no heat, all those kinds of things. Uh, very little sustenance to keep him going. But he said, I have learned I have learned how to be content in the best of situations. I have learned how to be content in the most difficult of situations. And we know from reading the writings of the Apostle Paul that he could say that because he had a strong relationship with Jesus. And here's what the Bible teaches. If you have a strong relationship with Jesus, you can experience contentment any and every day of your life, regardless of the circumstances or situations of your life. We're going to come back to that theme, but I want to address this question today. What are some steps to experiencing real contentment and real happiness in life? 
There's some answers to that question in the scripture passage that we're looking at today in Philippians chapter 4. To begin with, real contentment comes from developing godly partnerships. From developing godly partnerships. Let me take you back to Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, where Paul writes, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you, the people in Philippi, you have always been concerned for me. And he wrote in verse 14, You have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Now we can tell from those words that Paul was writing to his friends back in Philippi that Paul was grateful for those friends, those friends who prayed for him and encouraged him and supported him and helped him in a number of ways throughout his life and ministry. Now the Apostle Paul had lots of friends from different regions of the first century world. Uh, when he wrote the, the book of Romans and the 16th chapter of Romans, he mentions 35 friends that he had in the church of Rome there in that city. He was friends with a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. He actually lived with them for a couple of years, worked with them for a couple of years while he was planting churches in their part of the region. He had friends like Barnabas and Silas who traveled with him on some of his missionary journeys. Uh, but he also had friends in the first century city of Philippi. Lydia, uh, the, the woman who helped him found the church there, was obviously one of his friends. The, the jailer uh, who, was, who was led to faith in Christ by Paul after uh, God miraculously rescued Paul and Silas from the prison. He had become a friend with Paul. Uh, there were others. Paul had a friend there named Epaphroditus there in the Philippian church. Aren't you glad your mama didn't name you Epaphroditus? He had other friends there in the church in Philippi. He was grateful for those friendships. And what he was saying in the words that we read earlier is that those friends encouraged him and those friends stood by him and those friends helped him experience contentment in his life. Paul's words remind us that faithful friends are of great value to us in our lives. Let me ask you, do you have any faithful friends in your life? I'm talking about friends who stand with you and stick by you, who love you and who are always loyal to you. Now, I've got many wonderful acquaintances and friendships here at Celebration Church and, and throughout our nation and throughout our world. But when I, I heard someone say one time, if you can count your real friends on one hand, you are a very fortunate individual. And I thought to myself, well, that's silly for me. I've got a lot of more friends than that. I've got the guys that I play, play ball with in high school. And I've got the people that I've come to know and the churches I've been a part of. And I've got... I've got friends on social media. I've got friends all over the world. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized there, there's only a few people who really know me intimately, who've journeyed with me through the challenging times of my life as well as the good times of life. And, and I think if, if you have a handful of friends, uh, you probably are a very, very fortunate individual. You are a blessed individual. Now, there are, no, there are different kinds of friends that we have in our lives. For example, there are what I call four-season friends in our lives. There are people who come into our life. We share things together, activities together. We share similar situations together. They're in our lives for a while, and they move away or they move on. And uh, So all of us have those kind of friends in our life. But there are also what I call fair-weather friends in our lives. These are people who get on board with us and they travel with us for a while. But when the storms come and the difficulties come, they abandon ship. Have you ever had friends like that in your life? And then there were the people I call false friends. One moment their arms are around your shoulder, and the next moment they're stabbing you in the back with their words or in some other kind of way. With those kind of friends, who needs enemies, right? But then there are faithful friends. I'm talking about people in our lives who love us regardless of how important they become or how important we become. I'm talking about friends who, lo who love us regardless of mistakes or difficulties that we experience in our lives. When they get on board with us, they stay on board. In the calm times, in the good times, they're there. But in the stormy and turbulent times, 
They are right there on board with us because they really do love us. They really do care for us. We all need those kind of friends. And if we have a handful of those kind of friends, we are very blessed. We are very fortunate in our lives. Those are the kind of friends that Paul had in the church at Philippi. They were people who prayed for him. They were people who had supported him. They were people who stood by him, even when things weren't going well for him. Listen, I don't have many of those kind of friends and neither do you. So let me share with you a few verses about those kind of friends. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. And it says in Proverbs 18, 24, a real friend, a faithful friend sticks closer than a brother. Those verses remind us that real friends will always be loyal to us. They will always love us and they will always be loyal to us. One thing you'll never have to question about a friend is their love for you or their loyalty to you. An English publication had a contest for the best definition of a friend. Some that received awards were a friend is someone who multiplies your joys and divides your griefs. I think that's a good definition of a friend. Another definition was this, a friend is someone who understands your silence. Man, that's a real thought provoking uh, description of a friend. But the one that won, the winning definition was this, a friend is someone who comes in when the whole world has gone out. That's another way of saying a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you want to discover who your real friends are? Just make a mistake, not a little mistake, just make a, a big mistake. And all of a sudden you will find that many of your so-called friends will desert you like rats on a sinking ship. I'm telling you, we discover who our real friends are when we're going through the difficult times of life, when we make mistakes in our life. But real friends will still love us and real friends will be loyal to us and real friends will stick with us regardless of what happens in our lives. And let me tell you something, if you can count, if you can count just a number of people in your hand who are those kind of friends, you are a very blessed and fortunate individual indeed. So Paul's words remind us. That faithful friends like that are of great value to us in our lives. But his words also remind us that faithful friends help us to achieve victory in our lives. In other words, faithful friends help us to live contented lives and stronger lives and, and godlier lives, more vibrant and victorious lives. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. And here's what it says. It says, as iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. Uh, that verse reminds us that real friends, good friends, are going to have a sharpening uh, influence on our lives. They're going to they're help us become better individuals. They're going to help us become stronger and godlier individuals. Let me ask you about your best friends. Do they encourage you in your walk with the Lord? Do they help you to fall more in love with Jesus and become stronger in your faith in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm with my real friends only about 15 or 30 minutes and, and they're challenging me. They're encouraging me. They're exhorting me to rise up to higher levels of loving the Lord, living for the Lord. They're constantly adding to and enriching my life because of their love for me and because of their care for me. Someone wrote the following wonderful words. I love you not for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. I love you not only for what you have made of yourself, but what you are making of me. You see, true friends are selfless and sacrificial. Uh, that's correct. But they're also sanctifying in our lives. They help make us better individuals. That's the kind of friends that Paul had in Philippi. And that's the kind of friends that the author of Proverbs 27, 9 was thinking of when he wrote the following words. The heartfelt counsel of a friend it is, is as sweet as perfume as, and as incense. So let me ask you, who are some godly friends in your life? 
Who are some encouraging friends in your life? Who are some sharpening friends in your life? And how have they helped you become more godly, more satisfied, more contented in your life? Whomever they are, you ought to send them a text or give them a call and thank them for being such faithful friends in your life. You ought to tell them how they blessed you, how they've encouraged you, how they've helped you, how they strengthened you, how they've helped you become a better person. And by the way, you need to also invite them to join you in attending our Christmas Eve communion services at the end of the month. Well, real contentment, Paul says, comes from developing godly partnerships, but it also comes from trusting in the Lord's plans. Now look at what Paul said here. As he looked at in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Now, again, Paul wrote those words from prison, and obviously he was going through a difficult time. And, and just, from the, just from the words that he spoke there, you know that Paul was reminding us that great problems are sometimes a part of our lives. Paul wrote about that in different places in the scripture, but Jesus also talked about that. Uh, we learned last week that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. And Jesus said, uh, and by the way, he knows, he knows what the, the real reality is. Jesus said, we're going to have trouble in our lives. Even the best of God's people are going to have trouble in their lives. Sometimes we have physical problems because of an illness or an injury. Sometimes we have financial problems. Sometimes we have uh, relational problems. We have strife and conflict with others. Sometimes we have vocational problems and emotional problems. Remember, everybody either has a problem, is a problem, or lives with a problem because we all have problems in our lives. But Jesus said, take heart, for I've overcome the world. Which means that we can have courage and we can have confidence and we can have contentment even when we're going through great problems in our lives. Let me hasten to say, though, it, it, is, it is human nature to struggle with discouragement in times of difficulty, in times of trial, and in times of sorrow. When we're going through those difficult times physically and financially and relationally and vocationally and, and sometimes spiritually, it can cause us to become discouraged emotionally. Uh, that's just a part of human nature. It's a part of how we respond to the trials and difficulties of life. But by the way, discouragement can also be an attack from the devil in our lives. One time uh, there was a fable about how the devil was uh, thinking about going out of business. Don't you wish that would happen? And he was going to sell all the tools he had used against human beings. But there was one tool on the side that was listed not for sale. And people asked, why, why aren't you getting rid of this tool? And the devil said, I, he said, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It's called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into people's hearts that are otherwise inaccessible to my temptations and all those other things I bring against them. When I get this tool of discouragement into a man's heart, the way then is open to plant anything and everything I'll may, I want to plant in his or her heart. So we've got to be constantly fighting discouragement in our lives especially in times like this. We've got to really be fighting against discouragement. That's one of the reasons I remind myself oftentimes of the Lord's promise in Joshua 1, 9. The Lord said, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Paul's words remind us that, that great problems are sometimes a part of our lives, but his words also remind us of God's purposes for allowing us to experience significant problems in our lives. 
See, while we all go through problems and difficulties and challenges and adversity, uh, we need to understand, like Paul understood, that the Lord often uses difficulties and difficult times in our lives to help us become stronger in our faith and stronger in our lives. That's why Paul was able to write about being content when he was in the midst of a prison cell with no water and no lights and all those kinds of things. He knew God was using what he was going through to make him better and stronger and godly in our lives. It may have been in that prison when Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. He wrote, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know they are good for us. They help us learn to endure, and endurance develops strength and character in us. In other words, God uses the difficulties we go through in life to make us stronger and healthier and more vibrant and more victorious in our lives. Now, most Christians don't understand that. That's why we get overwhelmed by the problems of life. That's why we get uh, discouraged when uh, adversity or, or challenges come against us in our life. Uh, we wonder, what, what is God doing? Has God forgotten about me? Why has God allowed me to go through what I'm going through? And here's, here's what you need to learn from Paul's testimony and from Paul's words. Is that God oftentimes uses the most difficult circumstances of our life to make us into godlier and healthier and more victorious individuals. Until you understand that. Life isn't, not, life isn't going to make much sense to you. You see, we want convenience in our lives. We want comfort in our lives. We want God to bless our careers. Now, let me tell you something. One day when we get to heaven, we'll have more convenience and more comfort than we can ever imagine or ever envision. But here on earth, this is not heaven on earth. This is a place for character development. And the Apostle Paul said what it takes to develop our character is struggle and trouble and difficulty and challenge. God uses all of that to make us into mighty men and women of God. Listen to me. God is far more interested in what you are than what you do. He's far more interested in what you are than what you have. He's far more interested in what you are than what you've accomplished in your life. He's interested in your character. Why? Because you're not taking your career to heaven. You're not taking your possessions to heaven. You're taking your character to heaven. And God wants your character to resemble that of the Lord Jesus himself. He wants our attitude, our ambitions, our actions to be like those of the Lord Jesus himself. And until you understand that, life is not going to make sense to you. You're going to have all kinds of problems. You're going to wonder, oh, why is this happening to me? Let me tell you, God's goal for your life is not to make your life easier. His goal is to make you better and stronger and holier and godlier. And Paul says that takes struggle and trouble in our lives. I don't care where the source of the problem comes from, whether it's from the devil or devilish people or from yourself or from the Lord. God uses every struggle and trouble we go through in our life to make us stronger and better and healthier in our life. And when we understand that, we are on the pathway to contentment in our lives. So ask yourself, what steps do I need to take to become more contented regardless of my circumstances? Real contentment comes from developing godly partnerships and from trusting the Lord's plans. But thirdly, real contentment comes from depending upon the Lord's power. Let's go back to the most important verse, I think, in our passage of Scripture for today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. You know that verse, many of you do. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says in the New Living Translation, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, this is a marvelous declaration from Paul. 
He's, remember, he's in prison. He doesn't have anything. And he really has a note of confidence there. Uh, Paul could have been moaning and groaning because of all he'd been through. He should have been moaning and groaning because of all he had been through. But instead, he was celebrating who he was in Christ Jesus, what he had in Christ Jesus. And he was not being arrogant when he wrote those words, but he was displaying the kind of confidence that should characterize every follower of Jesus Christ. I've got to confess, sometimes people get overconfident. I get overconfident from time to time. You may get overconfident from time to time. People really get overconfident when they've been drinking. I heard of two guys who were drinking on the top of, of, the top of a high-rise building. They were drinking together, and, and, and one guy got so drunk, he said, I believe I can fly. And so he jumped off the building, tried to fly, hit the ground, both, broke both of his legs. His friend came to visit him in the hospital, and, and the guy who was injured asked his friend, why didn't you stop me from jumping when I told you I could fly? And his friend said, I was so drunk drunk, I believed you could fly. Listen, don't be drinking because it'll make you have some really false confidence and lead you to make some stupid decisions, those kinds of things. I'm not talking about that kind of confidence here. Our confidence, but I'm saying that confidence should characterize every Christian's life. And you may be thinking, I'm not very confident. Why should I be confident? Let me give you some answers to that question. One, we can live, daily live confident and contented lives because we have a relationship with the Lord. Paul says this. He says, I can do everything, that's confidence, through Christ. I can do everything. I can face the situations I'm going through. I can deal with the adversity I'm dealing with because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know that the Lord is present in your life? The Bible says the Lord comes into our lives at salvation in the person of the Holy Spirit. The moment we uh, repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in Jesus, surrender our lives to the Lord, that's when the Spirit of God comes into our lives. Paul writes about that in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. How do you know when you have the Lord in your life? How do you know when you have God's Spirit in your life? Uh, many of you know that the Lord's in your life because you don't get angry as quickly as you once, once used to do. You're not overcome by your circumstances. You're no longer fearful of death or what follows after death. You actually like and love many people now. Now, and, and, and you know that the Lord's present in your life because you actually enjoy worshiping the Lord and reading God's word and praying to him and serving him. Now, I'm going to give you a statistic from a few moments in a few moments from a Gallup poll. But I want you to know that the happiest, most contented people on the planet are those who are real Christians who have the presence of the Lord in their lives. The presence of the Lord brings strength and satisfaction and security to our lives. But also we can daily live confident, contented lives because we have great resources from the Lord. Paul writes in verse 13, I can do all things or everything through Christ who strengthens me or who gives me the strength that I need. That word strengthen or the phrase gives me strength is one rare word in the Greek language. But it's one that Paul used quite often. It means to infuse power into. It means that when we fully trust in the Lord and surrender to Him, He infuses His power into our lives. It helps us overcome the struggles and troubles of life, but it also brings contentedness to our lives. Paul wrote about that in another scripture passage. He said in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who gives me the strength to do His word. He said in Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Now this strength or power is not something that Paul could conjure or come up with himself. It came from the Lord and enabled him to be the strong man of God that he was. He wasn't strong in his own strength and ability. He was strong because of his relationship with the Lord and his dependence upon the Lord. So oftentimes we look at somebody and we say, look at how strong they are. 
Look at how confident they are. Look at how powerful they are. Listen, if they're a real Christian, they'll tell you, it's not my strength. It's the Lord's strength. It's the Lord's power in my life. I have a photo here of a, of a unique time in the New Orleans history. This is a picture of a streetcar here in New Orleans in the midst of a snowstorm. This is actually December the 11th, 2008, 12 years ago. Now, we love streetcars here in New Orleans. Uh, tell people you know you're from New Orleans if you've ever made a U-turn right in front of a streetcar and blended back into the oncoming traffic without ever touching your brakes, you know you're from New Orleans right there. New Orleans streetcars are impressive. I mean, they're big, they're bulky. Obviously, you don't want your car to be hit by a streetcar. I mean, we're impressed with a lot of things about streetcars. But you know what? The streetcars have little, they have no power unless they're connected to the electrical wires. On top of the streetcars, you'll see arms, and connected to the arms, you'll see, you'll see electrical wires. And, and it's because of those electrical wires that the streetcars can move forward and move backward and do all the things. It's because of those, uh, the power flowing through those wires that those streetcars can carry people from one destination to another. And here's what I'm telling you. We look at people and we say, look at how strong they are. Look at how impressive they are. But it's not them, it's the power of the Lord being infused in their lives. And listen, if we live every day connected to the power of the Lord, we can live vibrant and victorious lives. We can live uh, confident and contented lives. But if we don't stay connected to the power of the Lord, we will find ourselves living defeated and discouraged lives, especially when we're going through difficult and challenging times. But it's what I'm telling you. Our confidence as Christians should not be in what we can do, but what we can do through the power and strength we receive from the Lord. I suppose there's still parts of our country where people don't have electricity or running water like they have in a lot of other nations. I was reading one time, you know, long before Amazon and those kinds of things and Federal Express, people would have door-to-door traveling salesmen who would come door-to-door in communities selling different products. One time in northern Alabama, there was a vacuum cleaner salesman who was going door-to-door trying to sell his product, his vacuum cleaners. He, not, he was having a rough day. He knocked on the door. A lady started to close the door, uh, open the door, saw it was a vacuum cleaner salesman, started to close the door. He could put his foot in the door so he could, she couldn't close the door and began to tell her rapidly about how wonderful his vacuum cleaner was. And finally, he wormed himself into her home, but she still wasn't interested in buying his vacuum cleaner. And so in a moment of desperation, he reached over into her fireplace, grabbed several handfuls of ashes, dumped them on the carpet floor there in her home and said, my vacuum cleaner is so good that if it doesn't pick up all these ashes, I'll get on my knees and lick them up with my tongue. She looked at him and said, well, sir, you better get on your knees and start licking because we don't have any electrical power in this home. Here's what I'm telling you. There are a lot of Christians who act like they don't have any power in their lives. Power to resist temptation, power to overcome the struggles and strongholds of life, power to be a bold witness for Christ, power to overcome the enemy's attack, power to understand the scriptures, power to know and do God's will. But let me tell you, if you have the Lord Jesus in your life, you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, and you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you have access to the power of God for your life. And when you're living daily in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Lord, that's when you can live a confident, contented life. Well, let me close out this message. We're talking about having contentment in our hearts and lives this Christmas season. We should all be seeking contentment. But you know as well as I do, people today tend to be more covetous 
than contented in their lives. What I mean is they have this desire to acquire, a desire to be, it's always pushing them, but we shouldn't be like that. Paul said, those things, that's idolatry. When we want things or we want possessions, we want pleasure or we want all kinds of things rather than the Lord. Let me remind you, popularity, pleasure, possessions and accomplishments are not what bring lasting satisfaction to our lives. Paul had all those things when he was Saul of Tarsus, the young, brilliant and popular Jewish leader. But look at what he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I had discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul is telling us real contentment comes to us in our lives when we have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ and when we're living daily by his power, and in His will for our lives. I mentioned the George Gallup poll earlier. A number of years ago, Gallup polled Americans all throughout our country, and here's what he discovered. He discovered only about 6 to 10% of Americans are real, dedicated Christians. Many others profess to be Christian, but only 6 to 10% of real, dedicated, practicing Christians. But here's what else he discovered about those 6 to 10% of the people of our nation. He said uh, they are far more generous and compassionate than the rest of the population. They have healthier marriages and stronger families. And then he said this, they have far more joy and contentment than the rest of the population. You see, when you're focused on Jesus, you learn what Jesus said, my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. When you're focused on Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, and you're living daily in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when you have contentment, that's when you have courage, that's when you have victory in your life. I want you to bow with me right now. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you this question. Do you have contentment in your life right now? Or is your life characterized by discontentment? Do you have contentment in your life? Do you sense the presence and peace and joy of the Lord in your life? Do you know for sure that the Lord is in your life? If you're not sure right now with the heads bowed, I just want to encourage you to pray with me to dedicate or rededicate your life to the Lord. You say, Pastor, what do I pray? Just pray these words of mean them. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I, I believe you're the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And today I'm asking you to come into my life to forgive me my sins and begin the process of transforming my life. Take away my shame and my guilt, my hurt and my pain and fill my life with your presence, your peace, your love, your joy, with the power to change and the power to live a contented life. The power to overcome every obstacle, every opponent, every difficulty, every challenge, and the power to live a contented life. I pray this with all of my heart. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let me tell you, if you prayed that prayer, uh, you're on the pathway to lasting contentment in life. I want to encourage you to go to webcc.info right now. Just go on your phone or your tablet to webcc.info. Go to the My Decision tab. If you pray with me to receive Jesus as your Savior or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord or you want to take the step of baptism or you want a life group, anything that you have there, take a moment and do that before, uh, before you log off today. Thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to seeing you again on, for our Christmas services that are upcoming. Let me just pray for you. Lord, today, help us to learn what Paul learned the value of contentment in our lives. So we can live every day, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our relationships, regardless of our situations, so we can live every day with the joy and the peace and the contentment and the victory of the Lord in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.